Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming Dramatic Takes on Your Favorite Games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And we're here to talk to you about games, how they tell their stories. Uh, this week, we are going to throw one of our core competencies, which is video games, to the curb. Uh, a, little in fa- <laughs> a little bit. In favor of talking about one of my core competencies, which is Magic the Gathering. Because I'm extra like that, and I want to talk about cool things that Magic cards do with storytelling, as weird as that might sound to someone who hasn't played the game. Before we get to that, there was something I wanted to talk to you about, Dylan, but I'm forgetting what it was. Oh boy. It's gone from my head, but I guess we can just kind of both sit here in this loose David Hayter impression for a little bit. (sighs) Welcome to Backstage Gaming, the premier (laughs) David Hayter impersonation podcast. Anyway... (laughs) That was nothing, but I think I'm going to keep it in because it are, made me laugh. Are we? Okay, well, <laughs> I'm sorry, audience. Yeah. So what we're going to be talking about this week is it is tangential to a topic that we have discussed before. God, I don't even know how long ago. Time is a fucking social construct, but we did an episode a while ago about lore as a storytelling technique and sort of like background story. Was that the episode when we talked about Kingdom Hearts as well? I mean, we've talked about Kingdom Hearts a couple times. Yeah, honestly. Um, Anyway, we've talked about this topic before, but basically one of the challenges of game storytelling is that because you want games to be as interactive as possible, for the most part, there are exceptions like visual novels and adventure games and things. Um, where the dialogue takes more of a front a front seat. For the most part, most games, you want them to be as interactive as possible. So you want to cut out the amount of exposition, the amount of cutscene, the amount of time that the player is not playing to a minimum. Right. Unless you're Metal Gear Solid 4. Um, <laughs> uh, that was for me. That was in- exclusively for you. But so how a lot of games have gotten around that is by introducing sort of optional story content. Uh, We've talked before about kind of the lore descriptions that are tacked on to items in Dark Souls and Demon Souls and Bloodborne and how every weapon in that game has like a a one or two sentence brief about like, this was wielded by the ancient king of Arnor in the before times. Or this shield was fashioned from a dragon scale of Sif before he became Sif the Scaleless. That kind of stuff that just serves to flesh out the world and make it feel like a place with more history or a place that you can spend more time in. When we talked about Kingdom Hearts, we talked specifically about like the role of 
the games that are not the main canonical, I mean, they're all canonical, but the main, you know, Kingdom Hearts 1, Kingdom Hearts 2, Kingdom Hearts 3, and the role that that kind of subsidiary, off-the-side, optional, depending on who you talk to, (laughs) storytelling uh, fits in. And I'm going to find a way to make both of those things kind of mesh talking about pieces of cardboard that you play on the play with on the playground at recess when you're eight years old like me. So buckle in. But before we completely abandon video games in favor of something that's going to be me talking and Dylan going, huh. Um, huh. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, another game that is doing this kind of thing in a very interesting way that we're both playing right now is... Fire Emblem Three Houses. We talked about this a little bit uh, with Coop last episode when we had him on. We're both playing. Dylan, I'm I'm about 23 hours in at this point, which yeah, honestly, no, you hours... Are, you are way ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, honestly, hours is not a great way of measuring distance through this game because there yeah, are Yeah, give people... me a month. Yeah, I, like I'm on Fantasy January. <laughs> um, okay, I am, I am solidly at the start of Fantasy... September. Okay. For our audience that might be baffled, Fire Emblem Three Houses is... <laughs> yeah, like, that was nonsense if you're not familiar with this game. Yeah, yeah. Um, it takes place in a fantasy world, and you are a professor at a, like, officer's academy for training people from around this, this continent to be officers in the military, or to be effective members of the nobility, or to be knights. And... It's broken up by month. Each month has a major story mission, but each month also has several weeks that you can spend exploring the monastery, teaching your students, going on side missions, all that kind of stuff. And so the reason I'm saying hours spent is not great, it is very possible for you to breeze through everything about the month but the main story mission if you want to. There is an auto-teach setting that you can hit. There's ways to automate how you spend that time if you don't want to go into the minutia of, like, wandering the monastery and talking to people specifically and like really getting into the weeds of fiddling with stuff i like all of that (laughs) so so i have not been doing the auto mode but that's kind of getting into this idea of like a lot of how this game presents its world is through that optional stuff the story is there because the story is the main story missions and the main conversations that you have to have before and after those but then there's also like Dylan, you were telling me about something that I still have not gone and read the books in the library, but Dylan texted me very excited <laughs> the other day. <laughs> there are bookshelves you can examine in the library of the monastery where the game takes place, where it's it's just really cool. Uh, there's, there's like, a, a series of bookshelves, and they all kind of have the history of each of the three nations that, that make up the country where the game takes place, or the continent where the game takes place, and they detail the royal families... Uh, the conflicts between some of the royal families in the past, and it really gives you an impression of, like, these characters' relations that, like, I think standard dialogue, at least from what I have seen so far, um, doesn't really dip its toes into. Yeah. For example, that you were telling me the library talks about, like, the relationship between the... One of the nations is... So the Adrestian Empire is associated with one of the houses, the Black Eagle House. And two of the students in the Black Eagle House, the head of the house is a a young woman named Edelgard, who Mm -hmm. is heir to the Imperial family. There's also a student in the house named Ferdinand, who is heir to the family that produces the Prime Ministers. If you, like me, are not in the Black Eagle storyline, Dylan and I are both doing Golden Deer. Yeah, so... You You could potentially 
completely miss this. You could absolutely just, like, not know anything about this. But by reading, going to the library and reading about, there's a section where they talk about how this rise of the prime minister as a position is very recent in the history of this nation. And so the imper the imperial family, while still the head of the nation, has lost a lot of their power. And I don't know if that comes to play in, like, the story in a big way. Right. But it sheds a lot of light on the relationship between these two characters. I've also seen a couple of support conversations from the Black Eagle house line where, like, if you do support conversations between these two characters, this comes up in that way, too. But again, for me, who's not in that house and doesn't have the access to those that's the only way to find that information and that's and it's, a it's small on thing the peripheral of your uh of your knowledge i i can also imagine like if you were a black eagle or a or a blue lion you wouldn't know that uh the main character of the golden house uh golden deer house claude you wouldn't know that he's actually a noble who was recently discovered his birth was in a backwater country town uh, because his mother went to elope with his father. Yep. And, like, again, this is something that... I don't know if you've had the support conversation, Dylan, but I, because I didn't know about the books in the library, I hadn't read that section, but there's a support conversation that happens between Claude and one of the other students in the Golden Deer yeah, House, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence, who's right? like... Yeah, yeah we, we did talk about this last episode, That's I think. That's right, we did. But, like, it's that kind of stuff of, like, building out the complexity of the world in a way that like if you don't care you don't it's not going to burden you with it it's not going to make you sit through a cutscene on the complex geopolitical history of this fantasy world but they still thought about it and they still put it in the game somewhere that you can find it if you're the kind of person for whom that's going to give you a greater enjoyment of the world and a greater enjoyment of the game and that's i really like that about games i think that that is a, a real strength of video games as an interactive medium, being able to, like, go and find the stories that you want and find the details that you want if you are the kind of person who wants to put the effort into exploring the world. So what the fuck does this have to do with Magic the Gathering? I hear you ask, frustrated. Um, <laughs> well, it's an excellent question, listener. And let me tell you, I have not been playing a lot of Magic recently. I mm -hmm. played it some when I was a kid. I got really into it in college. And right. then leaving college, leaving a lot of the people that I played Magic with, needing money and having a collection of cards that was worth a not inconsiderable amount of money, <laughs> I got out of the game in a, right. in a fairly Makes major sense. way. But I've, I've still been interested in it, and I've followed the development of new sets. But quick crash course about what this game is, if you've never played it or tabletop trading card uh, games in Before general. we get to the game proper, I have a question about like the quote-unquote story of Magic. Please do. Um, so I, I don't remember this with like a hundred absolute certainty, but I think when I played Yu-Gi-Oh! back in the day, there was like some flavor about like, or maybe it was magic. I didn't play a lot of magic, but I remember there was like flavor in like the instruction booklet or introductory booklet where it's like, you're a wizard and you you are summoning these creatures as your familiars as you duel yeah. another wizard. Yeah, that's that was the the core conceit of the game when it was first developed. Mm -hmm. uh, you, as a player of the game Magic the Gathering, are taking on the role of a planeswalker, which is a kind mm -hmm. of 
wizard that can move between different worlds because as the game is developed that's how they justify having all these different kinds of cards and all these different flavors to each set is that each each set is set on its own bespoke world with its own iconography and history and mythology and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and it used to be really funny like the 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 packs of cards particularly from like the late 90s early 2000s had little blurbs on them of like welcome to the foreboding forests of dominaria where in <laughs> the dark because the set was called the dark um naturally and it's it's hilarious and very very funny but yeah so that is the conceit and i'm not going to get in the weeds about like how magic is played because holy fuck the rules to magic are while it's not hard to pick up they get complex and i used to be a judge so my brain goes straight to the complexity and i'm not going to i'm not going <laughs> to inflict that upon you for our purposes the game of magic is you the cards represent spells and creatures and the goal is to beat your opponent either through attacking them with creatures enough to lower their life total or by comboing off in some stupid way that takes 20 minutes and makes your opponent frustrated (laughs) there's a lot of different ways what makes the game fun and one of my favorite things about it is that they do a really good job of developing settings and telling you about those settings and telling you about events that transpire through the cards and through the card art and through the card design and what the card does mechanically in the game in a way that I haven't really seen other trading card games do. I'm not going to pretend that I like I played Yu-Gi-Oh when I was a kid. I didn't think a lot about Yu-Gi-Oh when I was a kid. <laughs> um, I guess the best way of, of getting into this is there is a story in Magic, and they, they typically try to tell stories in... They're called blocks. They will put out typically two blocks a year. Each block is made up of, at this point, two expansion sets, and typically each block happens on one world. So, for example, there is a, a block from longer ago than I wish it was, close to a decade now, called Innistrad, and it takes place on the world of Innistrad. And this is a world that is very much modeled after Gothic fantasy, All of the creatures are like werewolves and zombies and vampires and humans that are way outclassed by the vampires and zombies and werewolves. And just as an example of this kind of thing, the werewolves, they did a very cool thing where they, the cards could transform. There was a side that you played that was a human, and then if you didn't cast any spells, that was the mechanic that they chose. If you didn't play any cards on your turn it would transform and you'd flip the card over and on the other side was the wolf form of the card. That's a really good like base level example of the kind of stuff I'm going to be talking about. And now, without further ado, I'm just going to start sending Dylan okay, here images of cards that we're going to talk about. I'm going to put a whole Twitter, Twitter thread of all of these if you want to look and play along and follow along. Uh, the first one I'm going to share with you is a very simple boy. He's a real little angry boy. It's a card called Raging Goblin. It's a very old uh, card. Look. The art is exquisite. It's just this very angry, <laughs> screamy goblin with an axe that's bigger than him. And this is like, again, very baseline what I'm talking about. And we're going to get way more complex as I go along and start introducing more interesting cards. But Raging Goblin has an ability called Haste. And all that means is it can attack the turn you play it. That's not something everything can do, but this little guy can. And he has some flavor text. A lot of magic cards have little have words in italics that don't mean anything rules-wise, but they just tell you a little bit of story about the card you're playing. Raging Goblin says, He raged at the world, at his family, at his life, but mostly, he just raged. (laughs) And this is, like, this is not telling some grand story. This isn't fitting into, like, the story of a set or anything. It just 
makes this card yeah it's amusing it makes this card feel a little bit more like oh yeah i can see this as a creature and not just a piece of cardboard right um so that at its most basic that's what a lot of magic cards come down to they're like a, a cute little idea that they add a little flavor text onto to make it feel a little bit more like a real thing i also like i i see that this uh card is copywritten 2014 yes uh, but uh, the the art has such like a nice vintage feel to it. Yeah, th- this card, and that's another thing about Magic is they put out new cards in every set, but they also do a lot of reprinting. Okay, uh, this, this is a reprint. This, yeah, this is a reprint. Raging Goblin has been around since 1997 was mm. the first printing of Raging Goblin with different art, but they do a lot of reprints, and this was printed in like a uh, sort of a legacy like nostalgia okay. nostalgia product so they used one of the older artworks for it okay cool. um uh, the next card i'm going to share with you is a card called laboratory maniac okay now this is a this is a card that requires a little bit of like background knowledge of sort of the for lack of a better term the iconography of the game okay. uh to make sense of well just send it to me and i'll see yeah. if i can bullshit something yeah so laboratory maniac i'm sending it to you now he's a creature ah uh, yes a, he is a human wizard, and he has rules text on it that says, if you would draw a card while your library has no cards in it, which is a way that you can lose the game. There is a strategy in Magic that's referred to as milling, named after a card called Millstone, not that important. But the strategy of milling is you make your opponent just, like, churn through their deck way too fast so that eventually they have to draw a card, they don't have a deck, and they lose. Laboratory Maniac says, if you would draw a card while your library has no cards in it, you win the game instead. That's good. This card is a flavor slam dunk. <laughs> um, okay. This card is used in a lot of janky combo decks where, like, you mill yourself out while this guy's in play and you're like, haha, I win. Or it's used as defense against, like, if you know your opponent's on mill, then you play Lab Maniac and you're like, huh, idiot. Um, so but I, I love this I because. I have a quick question yeah. about magic. So I, I know that, like, the, the point of trading card games is that. You have a win state in mind, and everything in your deck is to hasten you to that win state. Correct. So uh, a character like this, or a card like this, mm-hmm. rather, if that is your... What was the word you used? Uh, mill. Mill. Does Is the opponent aware of your mill? It depends. Uh, okay. Most most formats of the game, if you're playing in like a tournament, you'll play best two out of three. And okay. you're allowed to have a sideboard of 15 cards that you can, like, use to make adjustments to your deck between games. Mm. So this is, like, I don't, like, I, I've i never played really super competitive Magic and definitely not in a format where people were playing Laboratory Maniac. Right, right. Um, so I don't know how viable this is as a sideboard strategy. Like, if you know that there's a guy who goes to your game store who loves playing Mill, then maybe you would put a couple in your sideboard mm. for that matchup. Uh, more frequently, it's played in combo decks where you're milling yourself out as your win condition or as at the very least as a defense if you're the kind of deck that draws a lot of cards Mm -hmm. you might throw this in as like just in case i don't make it happen the other way right i have this but i love this because cards that draw other cards are a staple of magic and they're frequently presented flavor wise they're frequently like like i'm talking about with like the card design sort of telling a story the story of a lot of card draw spells is either divination or research there's cards called things like frantic study frantic search uh deep analysis all of this sort of language that presents drawing more cards as a product of doing research 
And so the fact that the laboratory maniac is the guy who's like, I'm doing research and I don't care what happens. His flavor text reads, his mind whirled with grand plans, never thinking of what might happen if he were to succeed. <laughs> like, it takes a little bit of background knowledge. You need to know that fact about the game, that all of the card, like a lot of the card draw spells are tinted as research. But when you know that, this it adds a whole extra layer of complexity to the little narrative gem that they're providing you with Laboratory Maniac. And I just think that's really cool. Yeah, I dig it. Now we're going to get a little bit uh, funkier. To, yeah? to describe the the Laboratory Maniac, did, did we describe its appearance? Or? Uh, we did not, but please do. Okay. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It is very much like a mad scientist in a Frankenstein-esque laboratory cackling maniacally as he is flipping a switch. He has uh, these augments on his body. There are wires uh, strapped to his back that are plugging into various walls. There's like a couple electric globes that are interacting with some doodads on his person. It's really strong. Yeah. Uh, this card was also first printed in Innistrad, that gothic horror set where a lot of the zombies were flavored as sort of Frankenstein's monster-esque. Okay stitched okay. together creation so he fits into that world in a very good way as well so um um not to <laughs> no go for the it. conversation please do but is magic basically just like every every world or every expansion or whatever you call it it's it's just another planet in kingdom hearts essentially yes and it like there was another thing i'm going to talk about one of the next cards i'm going to send you is from a, a plane a world called amonket that is very much flavored after ancient egypt with, like, gods and mummies and all of the art is very, in, like, Egyptian-inspired. There are, uh, a new, like, jackal-headed creatures and all this kind of stuff, which is very cool. Uh, one, of the, one of the mechanics in Amonkhet that I really love, I didn't find a card for this, but they have a mechanic called Eternalize. And what Eternalize is, is there'd be creatures that have an effect. Here's a good example. This is a great example of a very good card that also... Exe gives a very good example of this kind of ability and the flavor it was going for. So this is a card called Champion of Wits. Okay. It's a wizard. It's a blue card. It draws you cards. It's a creature, and it reads, When Champion of Wits enters the battlefield, you may draw cards equal to its power. If you do, discard two cards. It has power of two. That's just one of the stats on the card. Mm -hmm. So what this card reads is, you play it, you draw two cards, and you discard two cards. And you might be thinking, but why does it say draw cards equal to its power if its power is two? Well, here you get the rub. In addition to a bunch of other things that might affect that, it also has the ability Eternalize. And Eternalize costs a whole bunch more. But what Eternalize says is, exile this card from your graveyard, so it has to have already died. And you make a copy of it, except the copy is a 4-4 zombie. Okay. So oh, Eternalize okay. is mummifying and bringing back to life in the flavor of this Egyptian-inspired world. Okay, cool. And cool. when you eternalize it, it comes back bigger, which makes that ability do more for you. You draw four cards instead of drawing just two, and this card is so fucking cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're here for me, because I would have never made that connection. <laughs> yep. And, like, the fact that they have they have created a mechanic that is interesting and unique, It's a, it was a new mechanic for this set, but it also fits so well into the flavor of this fantasy Egypt. The mm -hmm. creatures are mummified and come back as their mummified versions, and that changes things about them. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another card from Amonkhet that I'm going to share with you now. This card is going to look weird to you, okay. Dylan. I okay. promise you that. <laughs> um, I'm scared. Uh, you'll see what I mean. Okay. 
Oh, what? <laughs> so oh. I sent Dylan a card. Oh. Magic has also done very interesting things with different ways of breaking cards into two to give them different abilities. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> at the Amonkite block introduced a mechanic called Aftermath, which was it has one form that you can cast from your hand and then another form that you can cast from the graveyard, and then it goes away. And they did a lot of cool stuff because the, the, the naming convention for these was weird. Uh, this particular card is called Start to Finish, and that was how all of these worked, is there was also, like, Claim to Fame, Commit to Memory, pa uh, Appeal to Authority, all of this. That was the sort of naming convention. And so Start, the art shows two young men, arm in arm, sitting in, like, a beautiful sunlit courtyard. Moses and it and reads Ramses from Yep, it, it honestly is. <laughs> and it reads create two one one white warrior creature tokens. And that just means in magic sometimes the creatures are cards and there are other cr cards that like make just like this isn't a card but it's still a creature on the battlefield. That's what that means. You cast the spell, you get two little dudes and then the spell goes into your graveyard allowing you to cast finish. And finish reads as an additional cost to cast finish, sacrifice a creature destroy target creature and the art of this is one of the two young men from the art of start looking down at an upraised hand presumably from the other young man from the art of start okay this card is a like such a cool little story moment because it's start to finish it gives you two creatures and then the other half of it makes you get rid of a creature maybe one of those creatures that start gave you to destroy a creature it's telling an entire story of these two nameless dudes in this artwork through what the card is doing mechanically. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And, like, obviously... I'm, I'm reading it, the effects again just to, like... Yeah. Obviously, it doesn't have to do that. It doesn't say, like, you have to sacrifice a 1-1 white warrior creature token or anything. But... I'm going I'm to recommend that people have our Twitter page open as, yeah, definitely, as they listen to this episode. Cause... If you're not familiar with magic, if you're not familiar with the cards we're talking about, definitely refer to our Twitter feed where I will have posted all of these. But this is such a cool... Item 1, it's good card design because the effect of the one that you have to cast second... It, like, if, if you cast the first version, it gives you what you need to cast the second version, which is just good. Because a lot of times, otherwise, that second version just couldn't be cast. But also, like, I love this card and the way that they use this form of split card to tell this really interesting story. There are some other ones that do similar things, but this is the best example of it, for my mind, of this kind of card. Maybe um, it's just because I have the road to, uh, or DreamWorks <laughs> on my mind, but it's also making me think of the road to El Dorado, where uh, Zekulkan's like, it needs more body. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I love it. I've got a couple more. This one, this next one's a little bit more simple. It's less of like a full story and more of just like really fucking well done flavor. Okay, yeah. Um, this is from a recent set, a set called Modern Horizons, in which they basically printed a bunch of cards that are too powerful to go into the regular format, but are good for an older format that needs support. Okay. And this is a card called Dead of Winter. Item one, oh, okay. I just want you to appreciate this art. That's a good picture. This art is exquisite. The art, again, go to our Twitter feed, but if you can't, uh, the art depicts a frozen sort of wasteland. There are bodies and discarded weapons and arrows littering the ground. And in the center of the frame are two figures, one standing, one kneeling, impaling each other on spears, and they appear to have frozen solid there. The art is incredible. This is one of my favorite pieces of art in the history of the game Magic, and there are a lot of really good artists who have worked on this game. Yeah, yeah. 
But then what it does is it says all non-snow creatures, which is weird. Uh, there was a very old set called Ice Age that had introduced snow as a card type. So there were snow lands, there were snow creatures. Uh, I don't think, I think that was it. But it says all non-snow creatures get a debuff, get minus X minus X, which can kill things until end of turn where X is the number of snow permanents you control. That is magic okay. jargon for if you have a bunch of snow lands, if it's winter, you kill everything. Yeah, yeah. It's Damn. like, it's such a, a little so, thing. So snow permanents are, are they like, uh, uh, yeah, this, it's, it's, this is a weird one. to me one. as someone who doesn't yeah, play so, magic. <laughs> uh, basically all it is, is there are certain cards that care about this concept of snow. Okay. One of the core ideas of magic is that you have to play lands, and the lands are your resource. So okay. this card, for example, costs two generic and one black mana. You get that by tapping, at its most basic, one swamp, which is a land that generates black mana, and two other land to generate so any to, other kind of mana. To, to put this in like terms that like I could vaguely mm -hmm. understand, um, is, is it like uh, in Pokemon when you have a pokemon that uses a move that changes the weather or the environment to buff their moves kind of um, okay so rather than that there there are if you can have a swamp or you can have a snow swamp okay. they only ever printed snow swamps which is just what the card is called mm -hmm. in the ice age blocks because okay. that was like one of the gimmicks and that, that was block. the yeah and so if you ha just to use the lands as an example if all of the lands you control are snow swamps then this would give minus three, minus three, because you have three snow permanents. Okay. The more of those you have, the more snow lands, the more snow creatures you have, the bigger that debuff gets. So the deeper the winter is, the more things die. Yeah, okay. Is the flavor that they are going for on this, and I fucking love it. It's really cool. <laughs> also, and just like, what's the flavor text, Chris? I don't know flavor if you text? said it. At last, Silence. Quote attributed to Tevish Zhat, who I have no idea who the fuck okay, that is. Okay, I was is, about to ask. Please tell me that was no. a character, but no. It it probably was a major player in the Ice Age block. The mm -hmm. Ice Age block was way before I started playing Magic. Got it. Um, okay. So I'm not able to provide more detail on that. But again, just like, this is not one that's fitting into a grander story. But again, it's just a really good, well-contained piece of, like, storytelling of what happens when you play the card. Yeah. And again, just like, goddamn, Zach Stella's art for this card is incredible. <laughs> so I've got one more that mm -hmm. I want to talk about real quick. Then I figure we'll take uh, a break for uh, the playbill. Mm -hmm. And then when we come back, I've got a weird one because I've gonna, I'm going to show you one, two, three, four, five cards in rapid succession because they tell a fucking story. Okay, cool. This is a card, Dylan, that I'm sending mm -hmm. you. I love this card so fucking much. It's called Thing in the Ice. <laughs> the art depicts... A, oh, a, that sure like, is a thing in an yep, ice. It depicts like a, a fancy caravel, caverel, ship, boat. <laughs> I don't know why I went for the fancy word. Uh, towing an iceberg with some something in it. It is creature type horror. And it enters the battlefield with four ice counters on it. What's an ice counter, Chris? Well, it matters for this card. And the rest of the rules text are, whenever you cast an instant or sp sorcery spell, which are two kinds of cards in the game, don't worry about it too much, remove an ice counter from Thing in the Ice. Then, if it has no ice counters on it, transform it. I love this. Because this, and this again, this is one of those things that requires a little bit more background knowledge of the game. 
this is the kind of card that fits into a deck that is routinely referred to as spells. It's okay. a deck that just wants to cast a bunch of spells that let it draw cards and then do things based on that. And so, again, like I said before, cards that draw cards are frequently uh, flavored as That's, research. Uh, research, yeah. People, if you're research, oh. if you're playing this in that kind of deck, you're drawing a lot of cards. You're playing a lot of cards that are doing research on this thing in the ice, and eventually you delve too greedily and too deep, and it transforms That's into. So cool. Oh, there's another card. It transforms because on the back of this card is printed the Awoken Horror. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so it's on it's on the back of the card. Yeah. So the way that they did this is in sets that had double faced cards, they would have they would also include in the expansion packs like token cards where you could check off what that card meant. Okay. And so you like you would come to it and be like, "Oh, this is my awoken horror," and then you'd play it and then be like, "And that gets me this," and pull it off from the side. Okay. A lot of people also play with uh card sleeves. Right, right. At which point you could just like take it out of the sleeve, flip it over, put it back in the sleeve. That makes sense. And awoken horror is terrifying. It's a big old squid bug. Looks, um, looks like uh I y- there's a, there's a lot of moving parts here, and by that yeah. I mean <laughs> <laughs> there's a um, lot of implied re- moving parts. Yep. And what it reads is when it transforms into awoken horror, return all non-horror creatures to their owner's hands. So this thing okay. pops up, and everything else runs the fuck away. Yeah, like unless there's some other kaiju. Yeah, exactly. Out there. <laughs> and this again came out in a set where horrors were a common creature type, so it fits mm-hmm. into that sort of aesthetic. It's but very it's such Pacific a, Rim. Yeah, it's know, very Pacific Rim. Pacific Rim it, was like back in the 1500s or something. Yeah, but again, this is just such a good example of it's telling a story on its own. That story fits very well with the kind of deck you want to play it in, which is a deck that's playing a lot of those card draw spells to get those ice counters off of it quickly. And then when it comes out, it does something that makes a fair amount of narrative sense. If I saw this thing bust out of an iceberg, I would run away. Mm-hmm. This also fits in with the history of magic because there's a, a type. Of, there's other cards that have that kind of effect of returning all creatures to their owner's hands. Cards like Whelming Wave. This thing would make a hell of a tidal wave when it came out of the ice. That's oh man, it's all connected. That's that's it's, really cool. <laughs> yeah, like that's one of the things about magic, especially as the game, like the game's been going on for more than twenty years at this point. Yeah. So as the way that the the R and D team and the way that the card design team and the way that the art team have found ways to tie all of these new ideas and new cards to existing concepts in the game is really cool, and I really yeah. like it. And it's like one of my favorite things about this game. Man, that um, that makes me excited. It's a shame that I will never have the money or the time <laughs> yeah. to dedicate to actually Honestly, learning magic. They, if you're interested in magic, if I've made you interested at all, uh, mm-hmm. Wizards has recently released a Wizards of the Coast is the company that owns. Magic the Gathering. Right, right. Uh, they've they've recently put out, and it's still in open beta, it's been in open beta for fucking forever, a computer program called okay. Magic Arena. It's free to play. There's a shit ton of microtransactions that'll, you know, yeah. try to nickel and dime you. But <laughs> I have managed to have a very good time of it while spending very little money after initially being like, I kind of want to put together a couple decks. Um, okay. Maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's very user-friendly. If you're brand new to the game, it's a pretty dang good way to learn because it handles a lot of, like, the minutia for you until you know what's going on enough to, like, want to micromanage it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just wanted to, to throw that out there if anything that I'm t- talking about sounds cool to you and you're interested in trying it out. 
Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's hop into the playbill really quick. Talk yes. about what we got to talk about there, and then when we'll come back, I'm gonna I'm gonna spin you a yarn using magic cards. Oh, okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Playbill, everybody. Give me a moment to sip on some water because my throat's getting a little dry. Mm, Dylan, why don't you start us off? Oh, okay. Uh, well, uh, if you like us and you like the stuff we're doing, here are some other things you can find us in. Uh, the Unexplored cast is pretty good. It's an actual play podcast. Chris is a major player in the second season, and I make some cameos, too. I, I'm trying to f remember what we can say about the Unexplored cast. <laughs> Same. Uh, we uh, <laughs> recently we recently recorded the uh, the first episode or the first session, which is probably going to be at least two or three episodes of season two. Mm -hmm. It's fucking great. I can't remember the last time I had that much fun. Have in any new of the system. episodes come out yet? No, season two okay. has not come out okay. yet. It's probably I mean, not going to be out until October ish. Okay, cool. Because um, I've been I've been like really excited. I really want to start listening. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean. Go back and listen to the first season. The first season is like small town Midwestern mm -hmm. horror, and it's phenomenal. Uh, this season is going to be sci-fi. I know I can say that because Christina's been posting on their Twitter about coming up with alien names. Good, um, good. Uh, but it's super good. And then Dylan and I are also involved in some of their Patreon-exclusive content, including, uh, I think just today, they dropped another episode of the uh, Patreon-exclusive campaign Florence DeWitt's Paranormal Detective Agency, which is mm. Victorian spooksome. It's real good. You should... Absolutely support them. You can find them on Twitter at unexploredcast or at unexploredcast.libson.com. Dylan, what if I don't want to listen to people to play an RPG and instead I want to listen to people talk about anime for a really long time? That sounds very passive aggressive. I didn't mean but... it to. I really didn't mean it to. It came out of my mouth and then it was there. I love it. I love your show. Um, well... If, if you really want to, Chris, <laughs> uh, you should check out Dude, You Remember Macross, where I talk with your friend and mine, actual doujinshi character, Coop. We cannot keep that alive. <laughs> Fine, I'll And by that, I now. mean Coop. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm back. Uh, we, okay, fine, um, Starship Captain Coop. That's better. It's, it's a lot better. <laughs> but anyway, we, we talk about, uh, we, we have been talking about this classic 1980s anime, uh, Super Dimension Fortress Macross, and now we are talking about Gunbuster with a, a lovely guest, I think you've heard of him, it's Chris Wilson. Who that? Uh, and that's you! Uh, but anyway, <laughs> fucking sorry. Uh, we've been watching Gunbuster, and so we've been talking and you know occasionally yucking it up over there. So that's been really fun. Um, and we we I I try to talk about like you know the the themes and grander ideas behind uh you know the big robots blowing each other up because you know there's that famous meme image of a Gundam shooting the message war is bad at someone, but it flies over their head <laughs> and they just go wow cool robot. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. Uh, so, you know, I, I think I think one of the joys of this show, for me at least, has been trying to tackle them, not just as, wow, cool robot, but also, like, thinking about, like, the grander ideas behind the giant robot. And th that has been inspired by other podcasts that also tackle giant robot anime. So that's been real fun. If you want to check that out, uh, we are on Anchor at anchor.fm slash dude, that is D-U-D-E, you remember... Um, we are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. 
Uh, you can also check us out on social media uh, at Facebook, Twitter, and we have an email. Uh, you should also go and listen to, honestly, at this point, Marathon, because it's fucking great. Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery. It's a podcast that I was involved in very minorly. Uh, it's killer. It's got some of the best sound design I've like ever heard in an, a narrative podcast. Um, it's all about spooky, weird stuff happening in the Midwest. We have a theme. And I was lucky enough to be involved in the final episode, which dropped when you're hearing this last Wednesday. It was a ton of fun. I got to scream a whole bunch into a microphone. Inexplicably, one of my screams sounds weirdly like a Wilhelm scream in the way that they mixed it in, <laughs> Yo, uh, which was screaming, not intentional. Screaming is, like, really fun. It's, like, oh, not it's so good for fun. your voice at all, but, like... No, that was the last thing we did at that recording session. I mean, um, I, that, I think that's what it's supposed to be. You're supposed yeah. to save screaming for last... <laughs> Uh, but it was a it was a ton of fun, and the show is phenomenal, and now that it's out, you can listen to all 12 episodes in a row if you want to, which I would honestly really recommend. Uh, you can find them on Twitter at Unwell Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. I was in another thing recently. I was yes, in yes, a, yes. Uh, a podcast produced by a group called Cold Open Stories. It was a uh, one-off narrative story set in the universe of Warhammer 40k, which I know very little about. <laughs> and I got to play sort of the put upon every man in this world full of chainsaw angels and demon men. It was really fun to work on. I got to do a little bit of something new in a in a world I hadn't played in before. But the show the story is called When All Lights Have Gone Out, and you can find it by going to uh Cold Open Stories on Twitter. That's their at at Cold Open Stories and just seeing what they got there. They're auditioning for a new thing that I might go out for, or I might let... I, I don't know a ton about the Warhammer world, so I don't know if there's parts for me. But it was a really fun story. It's 45 minutes. It's one one story you can consume in one sitting and then uh, be done with it. And I would very much recommend checking it out. Mm. And we have a Patreon. Our Patreon is what helps us keep this stupid boat afloat. <laughs> uh, it, it pays to patch all the holes that we ourselves poke in the hull. <laughs> This has Every been day. a very this has been a very amusing playbill. <laughs> it really is. But in all honesty, to all of our patrons, thank you. It means the world to us to have your support, and it's incredible that you are providing enough for us to cover all of our expenses. If you're not a patron, now is a great time to do it. We've got some blooper reels coming out very shortly. We've got a bonus episode up where we talk about the three unities for a while. And if you like what we do, if you want to show some love for us, that would be phenomenal and a great way to do it. And we would appreciate it forever. And you can find that at patreon.com slash bsgpod. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's hop back into this weirdness. This next string of cards, I'm, I'm thinking we'll probably spend a little less time on each individual card mm -hmm. uh, because I've got like four of them, five of them in a row that I want to share with you. These are all from a recent set called War of the Spark. Okay. It was the Avengers. Um, <laughs> okay. So, in, is this going to be its own thread on the Twitter? I feel like that would help people. Probably, yeah. Okay. Uh, in on the Twitter, in Magic, there are cards that are called Planeswalkers. 
but Chris, you're a planeswalker if you play the game. I know, listener. Um, <laughs> planeswalkers are a unique kind of card. I'm not going to go in depth on what they do because it's weird a lot of the time, but generally they've got like a bunch of different abilities and you can pick one each turn. And they have also served as sort of recurring characters uh, mm-hmm. throughout the game. War of the Spark was basically the Avengers. They brought every planeswalker basically that they've ever printed plus a bunch of new ones and it was all of them fighting against totally not thanos it, it wasn't thanos it was a long-running villain named nickel bolas who's a big scary dragon man okay all of that is the back background for this series of cards that is superb first i'm going to introduce so you to our Galactus cast of, instead of thanos honestly yeah <laughs> uh first i'm going to introduce you to our cast of characters first off dylan we have the big beefcake himself gideon jura Gideon Jura is one of the longest existing Planeswalkers. He's oh, been printed a ton of different times. This particular Yo, this version... looks rad as hell! Yeah, this particular di- version is named Gideon Blackblade. He's a big, beefy Chad. All of his versions have some variant on his main ability here that matters, which is, as long as it's your turn, Gideon Blackblade is a 4-4 human soldier creature with indestructible that's still a Planeswalker. So if it's your turn, he functions like a creature. He can attack and, and do all of the things that creatures do. Okay. Next we have we have our knight. Now we need the knight steed. We have a card called Trusted Pegasus. Trusted Pegasus is a flying creature. Flying creatures can only be blocked by other creatures with flying. And it reads, whenever Trusted Pegasus attacks, target attacking creature without flying gains flying until end of turn. And okay. in the art, we see this Pegasus and we see Gideon. Trusted Pegasus can let Gideon fly when it attacks. Yes. Next up... We have Divine Arrow. We see the Trusted oh, Pegasus yeah. being pierced by an arrow and Gideon falling off of it behind it. The flavor text reads, Ravnica's defenders watched in horror as Aketra's shot pierced the body of the Pegasus. Gideon tumbled through the air, black blade in hand. They're telling a fucking story through magic yes. cards and the story's not fucking over. Also note, in the art for Gideon Blackblade, he's falling. Yeah. So there's that, too. And then we're introduced to another character that doesn't really matter. There's a big, important demon in Ravnica, the world that this happened on, named Rakdos. And we have this card called Unlikely Aid, which shows Gideon riding on Rakdos, sword in hand. (laughs) Flavor text says, no one will ever ride me again, Gideon. Expect no further flavors from Rakdos. No further favors. Yeah, no further flavors. Mm. That's a good Um, Freudian... (laughs) Yeah. But so this... We see him get on the Pegasus, they take off, they're taken down as he's falling. This demon comes in to save the day, showing, for one thing, just how important Gideon's task is that Rakdos, who has not typically been presented as a friendly face, Mm -hmm. does this. But just the way that they're able to spin out these stories through these combinations of cards, they don't often do that but they did that a ton in this set and it was really fucking cool uh there's a few other cards that uh reveal what gideon goes through but i'm just going to share a couple more because now i'm remembering them and thinking how cool they are and this is going fairly quickly Mm -hmm. next one that i'm going to share is called gideon sacrifice okay cool so in the story of the of the set another planeswalker named liliana she's not super important except that she allows this to happen she is facing off with nicol bolas and nicol bolas is about to kill her but gideon steps in with gideon's sacrifice and takes the blow for himself that's another ability that gideon planeswalkers frequently have is they can force things to attack them rather than you and what gideon's sacrifice reads is 
choose a creature or planeswalker you control, all damage that would be dealt this turn to you and permanents you control is dealt to the chosen permanent instead. Gideon is taking the blow intended for Liliana onto himself, and Gideon's whole thing... Man, Gideon's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing wraps up Chad. in... He's a super Chad, and I love him. <laughs> Here it is. We get a card called Heartwarming Redemption, where we see... Gideon, here named Kithian, because he's originally from a Greek and a Greek flavored world, mm. reunited in the aftermath with his old friends. The flavor text reads, Kithian had known war every day of his life. Now he finally knew peace. Oh man. That feels very holistic. It's incredibly holistic, and it's again, it's drawing on this is the kind of thing that it makes a lot more sense if you've been playing the game for a while, because Yeah. These characters in the art with Gideon are characters that have been portrayed in sets years ago. Got it. G Gideon, it being on this Greek planet, only makes sense if you know that that's where Gideon's from. But even without all of that, they build this whole arc through this the art of the cards, through what's happening in the cards, even through what the cards do. That card, Unlikely Aid, we kind of skipped over what it does, but what it says is target creature gets a bonus, and gains indestructible until end of turn. It's saving Gideon from that fall that we see him take on the art from Divine Arrow. Yeah. Again, this is an exceptional example of this. This set did a lot of stuff like this with stories being told from card to card in a way that isn't typical of the game. Because mm -hmm. typically, like, this this set was the Avengers. It was the payoff for a whole bunch of build-up that they'd been doing for years. Okay. And so they were able to do that. But I I find it completely fascinating and also somewhat frustrating because a lot of how they were able to do this in the past was there were also short stories that were published yeah i was on... about to say are there like supplemental materials yes there okay. are there have been for years uh short stories set in each of the worlds and detailing like the actual plot of what is happening in the world and in the story for that set that they would publish on their website and Reading them gave you a little bit more insight into what was happening in the cards and what was happening in the card art. Some of it was easy to riddle out on its own, like uh, Laboratory Maniac. Like, I don't think that fit into any of the stories. That's a pretty self-contained little nugget of like, oh, that's what this guy is. Mm -hmm. But the stories were there to help flesh out the worlds and help give it a sense of plot. Recently, Wizards has announced that they are going to be putting those stories behind a paywall. Uh... Which is, like... I get it. They're a company. They need to make money. Ad revenue is not a ton. So... I understand. I guess, like... Yeah, when you say a paywall, what do you mean? Like... I don't know the details. I haven't okay. been keeping up with it super closely. But that is frustrating because they have... You already have to buy the cards. Yeah. Like, if you're... If you are a magic player, if you are enough of a magic player that you're going to care enough to want to read the stories... I guess I guess at the same time, like, the writers have to put food on the table. <laughs> yeah, like, and again, I, I get it. Mm -hmm. I'm an artist. If they're doing it because they want to be able to pay the writers more, awesome. If they're doing it just because, like, oh, these get a lot of clicks, less awesome. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to put words in Wizard's mouth. I'm just expressing that, like... It's a little frustrating because suddenly this thing that was just there for you to go to, like the library in Fire Emblem Three Houses when you've already bought it, mm -hmm. is more akin to a supplementary game that you have to go and pay for or yeah, something yeah. behind a microtransaction. Or it's a little bit frustrating because it feels like a very backwards move considering how long they've been doing it for free. Mm -hmm. Again, 
if it's to help them pay the artists and pay the writers more and to help support that and produce more like that, I'm okay with that. Like, it's fr- yeah. it's still a little frustrating, but, like, I'm okay with that being why. But that's just sort of, like, the, the button I wanted to put on that to sort of, again, tie it back into what we've talked about before with, like, all of this sort of supplemental storytelling going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that this was at least somewhat entertaining for you, Dylan, and for you, no, the audience, I, to hear me gushing really about magic cards for a while. I think... So I'm, I gotta look through uh, this Gideon story again, probably after we record. Yeah. Because I, I need to, like, actually, like, absorb the detail. But no, this this was really fun. Um, I guess I got, like, a couple loose tangential things to talk about that yeah, have please. nothing to do with magic. <laughs> please um, do. We can tie it back into our actual core competencies. But uh, I guess, like, looking at it from, like, a reverse perspective, mm-hmm. um, I, I was thinking of Final Fantasy XIV, and I'm not entirely sure why, but uh, I think there's this thing where, like... Final Fantasy XIV is an MMO. You you create a character, you pick a class, you can switch betu- uh, between classes, but essentially each class has its own uh, abilities and its own uh, quest where you do different missions to level up your uh, the class that you are. Okay. And so before I started playing Final Fantasy XIV, when I was just an outsider trying to look in, thinking about getting the game, I would look at the different classes and try to see what I should pick, what I should be. And when you're just looking in and you're like on a wikipedia page and you see like every ability and all the different effects it has it's very overwhelming (laughs) (laughs) uh but i think and again this is like an opposite example but like when i actually started playing the game they ease you into it really well uh by kind of when you get each ability it's kind of given to you as part of a story and i'm i'm a white mage in final fantasy 14 so i i have a lot of healing magic and then for DPS, when you're on your own, you have uh, you have a d- uh, damage over time spell that is uh, wind based, and then you have like a single attack that's earth based, and then you have a couple other attacks, but they're not really there for damage; they're more situational. But anyway, uh, the way that this is kind of explained to you in game is that like you will do a quest as a white mage, so it's a quest specifically for white mages to okay. learn a new ability, and they will give you. It's, it's framed as, like, a teacher teaching you the basics of white magic. So you kind of learn, like, oh, white mage white magic isn't divine in nature. It's derived from the earth. Uh, that is where healing powers come from. So you learn the elements of earth and wind. And it's given to you piecemeal enough, and the story is interesting enough that, like, you eventually just kind of get it in your head. And it, it's not a one-to-one to magic by any means. Uh, but it, it was just kind of this interesting thing of, like, the abilities you learn tell a story, uh, much in the way that, like, the cards you use in yeah, Magic tell a story. Yeah. That's really cool. I love when game designers, like, put thought into stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Because it adds such a nice, like, layer to what's going on. It's really cool. And I think there's, uh, later in the White Mage plot, or this isn't White Mage, this is Conjurer, which is kind of like the proto-White Mage before you unlock the White Mage class. It's confusing, like, when, when you're actually playing it, it makes sense. But there there's a plot line where uh, one of the characters isn't relying on the Earth, and, like, they haven't been taught the basics of White Mage, so they're just trying to heal based on their own talents and what they know. But what they don't know is that instead of deriving from the Earth to heal people, they're actually giving away their own life force. Oh, that's so, so cool. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool, like, plot moments in that, and so that's that's what really got me that's into playing the dope. game. That's fucking dope. It's, yeah, yeah, I, I really dug it. <laughs> and I guess to, to kind of switch gears a little bit, um, I remember 
So you were talking about how these these card games kind of tell all these stories and how like there's this greater world that exists within the flavor. Yeah. Um and I guess I can't really tie that back to Yu-Gi-Oh because like Yu-Gi-Oh <laughs> is like they're in the real world and they're playing a card game, but the best part the best part of Yu-Gi-Oh and the only part I really remember is when they go into a video game based on the card game and like I forgot they, about that. Yeah, and they they're interacting with like all the characters in the card game as NPCs. And so it's it's really kind of satisfying to watch them like walk around and like interact and engage with these monsters as like as people or everything, like as denizens. Everything that I ever remember about the Yu-Gi-Oh show is like right on the line between too silly to take seriously and actually really creative. Yeah, that's I mean that that sums it up pretty well. I yeah. imagine <laughs> I imagine a huge part of that is just four kids' dub. But like yeah. Yeah, I don't really have too much more to add on this topic. This was just sort of like a fun deep dive ramble for me for most of the episode. I don't. There's a part of me that wants to talk about Digimon, but I can't really tie it into the episode <laughs> in any meaningful way, so we might as well cut we'll it We'll find before. a way later. Digimon we'll Tamers to... is the GOAT! It's the greatest <laughs> of all time! But anyway, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Backstage Gaming. Uh, we had a great time talking to you. We hope you had a good time listening to us, and we hope you'll come back next week. And in the meantime... Check us out on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, really, or at bsgpod.com, where you can also find our contact info and uh, reach out to us if you want, along with some bios about the two of us. And also, while you're listening to us, wherever you get your podcasts, think about dropping a review, dropping some stars on us, leaving a rating, telling telling friends, telling family, share us on Twitter, share us with your elementary school teacher. I bet they miss you, and I bet they'd like to know how you're doing, so reach out to them and... Introduce Some them to this cool gaming podcast that you found <laughs> <laughs> that you have nothing to do with. Um, anyway, we're yeah. also on social media. Dylan, tell me about that. Oh, shit. We do have social media. I got to open up my credits page because I was looking at the cool card artwork. Uh, <laughs> it is very cool. Okay. Thank you for listening to Backstage Gaming. If you want to check us out on social media, you can check us out on Facebook. On Twitter, our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And also, you can watch us on YouTube. Um, also, if you like any of the stuff we talk about, uh, if you want to talk with us about magic or whatever, use the hashtag BSGpod. Also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brennan French uh, for the key art for our show. Uh, if you like the art that he's putting down, you should check him out on his Squarespace page at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E... N-N-E-N hyphen French dot squarespace dot com. You can also check him out on Instagram dot com slash Brennan French Arts. And of course, big thank you to our friend BioQuery for the use of our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. If you like his music, which you should, it's great, you can find him at his SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash BioQuery, that's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y, or by going to Spotify and searching for BioQuery. Uh, he's got a couple different singles out that are fairly recent, one of his solo work called Posthuman Angst, and one that he produced that was a collaboration of a bunch of different hip-hop artists called Lynx Volume 1, and they're both fucking killer, and you should show him some love. And one more time, please do feel free to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash bsgpod. That is what helps us to keep this running, keep this going. Uh, we're not losing money off of it, which is incredible. And thank you again to all of our existing patrons for your support. 
If you like what we're doing, that is a great way to help us out and help us keep going and to give us the motivation to do more and do better. Uh, because, boy, howdy, sometimes these shows sound like we need to do better. Um, <laughs> that's all I've got for this week, so I hope you enjoyed. Dylan, is there anything else for uh, for the lovelies out there? I got nothing besides right. like, verbal shit posts. That's fair. That's 90% <laughs> of both of our aesthetics. So until yeah, then, yeah. until next time, goodbye, everybody. Yep, take care, all. Yeah.